1 Samuel chapter 23. Praise God. I do ask for your prayer. For my family that's at home, my wife, my children. My kids are still recovering from just being a little sick. And um, it's uh, some rough nights. <laughs> but um, it's good that uh, we can see you guys here. Uh, if you've been able to defy the weather elements, the tiredness perhaps, the weariness, but you are here. We live in SoCal, so it's a little bit different. Other parts of the country, they have to defy different elements. They defy snow, I don't know, heat, I don't know, some other, some other things. But um, to each his own, right? And we live in different places, and God gives the measure of grace and faith that we each require, man. And so we are here today, and I just, uh, I, I welcome you for, you know, tuning in, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, amen. The important thing is that you be engaged, that you be focused, amen, on what the, um, what the word is, that you can uh, capture the message because um, it does not do a whole lot of good if you are essentially here, but you don't hear the message, right? Or if it, like they say, it falls on deaf ears. We, you don't want that. You want the word. You want to receive it. You want to see what it can do in your life. Amen. So whether if you're watching online or you're here in person, I just encourage you to be engaged. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Uh, if you could just lift your hands. Amen. We're just going to pray. Extend your hands and pray for me this fine morning. Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus, for such a wonderful opportunity to share the word today. For the most just the precious gift of life and, and the, the experience your Holy Ghost here today, your presence. Such a wonderful, wonderful thing, Lord. I pray that you anoint my lips this morning, that I may speak your word, Father. That my veil of flesh not alter, may not contaminate, my Lord Jesus, what your word uh, is supposed to do today, my Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. 23. Praise the Lord. So 1 Samuel 23, and we're going to read, we're going to start in verse 1. And like I always like to say, take notes. Take notes because um, that's the way you're going to remember. Amen. And we're going to go through a few scriptures, not a ton, but we're going to go through a few of them. And um, you're going to want to go back and, and read some of this uh, in your daily reading at home. So 1 Samuel 23 says, Then David, saying, <clears throat> or so then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kayla, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Caleb. But David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Caleb against the armies of the Philistines? 
Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Caleb, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Cala and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Cala. Praise God. Amen. So I want to, um, before I begin to talk about the passage and just kind of break down what's going on here, I want to explain the title of this message and the title is, An Ish is a Wish, okay? An Ish is a Wish. And I first heard this phrase from Mr. Uh, Dave Ramsey. If you're familiar or you know of Dave Ramsey, he is a uh, financial expert. He's a, a debt-free kind of guy. And in his debt-free program, he uses this phrase because, in other words, you cannot have success in what you're doing. You cannot have success in this program if you are not fully committed, if you don't take it serious. If you do things halfway or halfway-ish, you will only wish of being debt-free. It requires commitment. It requires discipline and being faithful to that purpose. So very much like when you, you might say to someone, you know, what time do we have to be there? And they might say, eh, seven-ish, you know. So it's not really seven, but if you're there at 7.10, you'd probably be okay. If you're there at 7.15, you're probably still good. You might even make it till 7.30, and they might be like, ah, you're still pretty good. Right? But if somebody says, you know what, you have to be here at 7, then it's 7 o'clock, right? But if you add that ish behind it or in back of that word, then you're taking away from the integrity or the fullness of what that word is, right? You're making it less than what it is, right? So in this passage, so let's go back to our passage, we have... David and his men, right? And David is considering striking against the Philistines and to save that city that was in despair, right? And so David seeks a word from the Lord. He inquires on the counsel of the Lord and asks if he shall go down and interfere and, and get involved in what is going on. Now, the truth of the matter is that it wasn't David's job to do that. It wasn't necessarily, he was not the appointed person to go and get involved. He was not the reigning king at the time. He, was, he had been anointed king, but he was not the reigning king. It should have been King Saul's job, right, to protect the land of Judah and its surroundings, but Saul was too preoccupied in going after David. He was too nearsighted to, to, to see uh, uh, really what was going on in his kingdom, in his land. 
and, and he was able only to try to seek that was which in front of him. That which he hated, that which he wanted to kill, really. And so he failed uh, to fulfill his duty as king and protect the land that he was responsible for. You can say that he was acting kingish, right? He was only pretending to fulfill the obligation and responsibilities of a king. Uh, and an appointed king by God, mind you, but not taking the fullness of the job as serious as he should have. And so, if I can take you back a few chapters before we get to this point, um, it might explain a little bit better what is happening. And so, King Saul, like I said, is seeking to kill David. By what we can read in scripture, there is no doubt that that was his goal. He didn't just want to imprison David. He didn't just want to keep him shackled or locked up or anything like that. No, he definitely wanted to kill David. So David fled. Amen. And you can start, if you can start reading this, it starts like in chapter 20. For Samuel, even a little bit before that, where just Saul's hatred and his disdain towards David starts building up. So David fled, and on his way out to a Philistine territory, he stopped by one of the priests named um, Ahimelech, and he asked for help. And he didn't tell the priest everything that was going on. He just said, I need food. And I need a weapon if you have any, uh, anything that you may have, which the priest gave to him. Okay, so this is a few chapters before when David makes a run for it. He's, he's just fleeing. Then as David headed out, he ended up in Philistine territory, okay, with the enemy. And to make matters worse, the Philistine territory, which he ended up in, was called Gath, okay? Anyone want to take a guess what is so unique about Gath? Well, that is where Goliath was from. Yes, the Goliath that he killed just some time ago. So if you can stop and think about his situation there, he's in a very difficult spot. He's in a difficult situation. Uh, it's actually pretty dire if you think about it. Not only does his king, his leader, want him dead, he is fleeing all alone, and he ends up in the land of the enemy where people know who he is. He has a reputation. They know who he is, and he is not quite warmly welcome, okay? As a matter of fact, when the servants of the king, of the Philistine king that was in that territory, when they saw David... They recognized him and they said, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? So they knew who he was. Okay, so David knew that they recognized him. And the Bible says that he was afraid. 
It says that he was afraid so much that he feigned to be insane. He feigned madness. So he let his drooling, his saliva fall, come down his beard. And he acted like a crazy person so that whoever saw him would think, that's not David. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but that is not David. And so, and it worked. In so much that when the Philistine king came out, because they told him, they said, hey, you know that guy that, uh, that killed your giant? He's right here. So the Philistine king came out, and he looked, and he said, that is not David. That's some crazy guy. He didn't recognize him. He didn't know that it was him. But he did it because he was afraid. You read it in the chapter before that. He was scared. So when David was able to get out of that Philistine city, he ended up in a cave, the cave of Adullam. He was finally at a place where he was somewhat safe and could get some rest from his enemies. It was in that cave that his brothers and his father's house went down to him. The Bible says that everyone that was in distress or everybody that was suffering hardship, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontent or was bitter of soul gathered to him, and he became captain over them. There were about 400 men. Okay, I've given a lot of information. I've given a lot of detail. So let's just sum it up really quick. Okay. So let's go back and we're going to fast forward. So David flees from Saul. David passes by the priest Ahimelech and he receives aid. Then David ends up in Gath and he faints being a crazy guy. Then David flees again and ends up in the cave of Adullam. And then in that cave is where he gets a group of men that was about 400. But remember, there was women and children as well, right? But it was about 400 men. So in some versions, they are called the valiant men of David, these 400, or the valiant 400. But if you read Scripture, if you go back to 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, who ended up coming with him? Who ended up coming to him in that cave? The word of God says in verse 2 that everyone that was in distress, suffering hardship, everybody that was in debt, and everybody that was discontent gathered to him. I don't think that this was necessarily the cream of the crop or the top-ranking military class but the word does say that he became captain over them. These people were able to be led. They were faithful. Okay? And so, remember, it was the people that were, the people that were in debt, the people that owed money, the people that were not necessarily, I don't know, great, such great citizens perhaps, but yet... David could do something with them. David was able to fulfill a job with them. 
because David had the Lord on his side. And then David took all the people that were with him and he led them down to Moab. So it's now he's not alone anymore. He's got a, a group of people. We know it's 400 men, but we don't know how many women are there, right? And they all they go down to Moab. And uh, when the man of God, there was a prophet that said to him, you have to leave Moab because King Saul was starting to get word about where David was. And so the man of God said to David, you got to go. And he went out into the forest. Okay, so King Saul finds out that the priest, remember that priest that gave aid to David, Ahimelech? So King Saul finds out. And so he goes to see the priest. And he became exceedingly angry. He became exceedingly angry that he said to the priest, this is in your Bible. He says to the priest, you shall surely die, you and your father's house. And the Bible says that that day, 85 men who wore a linen ephod were killed. So priestly men, along with other men, along with women, along with children and nursing infants. And not even the, the animals were spared, the oxen, the donkeys, and the sheep all died by the edge of the sword. So you can see that this is quite a very serious situation. David is fleeing from an adversary. He is fleeing from a king that really, really wants to destroy him. In so much, great was the vileness of this king, and he had reached a level that I really don't understand. Saul went from being a chosen and anointed king by God, a man that prophesied among the prophets, amen, a man that was chosen by God to a condition where he was just killing people left and right simply because they aided David. And there was no remorse for the killing. No remorse for the killing of the kings. You know, and along with those innocent women and children. So Saul was so blinded by his hate and his bitterness and his desire to kill David that he did not care to spare any long, anyone along the way. So now that we've painted this picture and we've laid down this groundwork and this foundation... Let's, let's build on top of that. So I gave lengthy details because I want you to understand the severity, really. The severity of the situation and what was happening in our opening text in Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23. So when David's men are somewhat safe, they are now in the land of Judah. They're... they're, they're not relaxing per se, but they're safe. And there is really no need for them to be involved in Kayla. There's no need for them to go and look for a fight that is not theirs. The reason, there is a reason why they were afraid. Because they were not military people. David 
probably was. He had that experience. But the people that, he, that were with him did not have that same, that same skill set. So when they say, look, they said, we are afraid here in Judah. They're like, we're kind of relaxing here, but we're still afraid. We are still afraid because the army of Saul can still come here and annihilate us. So we are afraid because Saul, King, now want, King Saul now wants to come against us, right? But now you're asking us to go and fight against a true military army. You're asking us to go up against the Philistines. Now we see in scripture a lot of battles won against the Philistines, but it doesn't mean that they were not a good army. It doesn't mean that they were not skilled. No, it's just that the Lord was on the side of his people, and so they were able to defeat the enemy. But David was now asking his men, let's go up against the army of the Philistines. Let's go save Caleb. So it was not an easy situation. It was not a whatever. Let's just go and fight. These men were truly afraid. They were being asked to go up against a standing army. Okay. Everybody's following. Yeah, you're following the storyline. Okay, praise God. I don't want to lose anybody. So... Life's, life's most heroic moments, acts of bravery and courage, they all have an element of fear in them. You ask any soldier who's been in combat, anyone that has won a medal of honor, or any police officer with a distinguished servant or service uh, or some valiant act that they may have done. Or even, let's put it in a different scale, anyone that has ever started a new business or a company or, or launches some type of self-employed journey, fear is always there. There is always an element of fear in success. So you can watch any war documentary with interviews of soldiers that were on the ground. Almost all the time you will hear that they were scared out of their boots. That they were scared but there was something inside that where there was a commitment, where there was a faithfulness, where there was a determination for the cause that they were set to do. There was something inside of them where they remained faithful to their leader, faithful to their God, or faithful to whatever they were doing. They weren't faithful-ish. They weren't kind of committed or committed-ish, if you want to say it that way. No, there was a determination to see the outcome through in the midst of fear, in the midst of being unsure, in the midst of knowing that they could possibly die. They was, there was a surge of strength there, fueled by a commitment, a belief that what they, they were fighting for or what they were looking to achieve in life 
was to be accomplished by 100% commitment. Now, and so all this requires complete commitment. You cannot have this great victory. You cannot have this heroic moment. You cannot have this valiant act. You cannot have greatness without being fully committed, without complete faithfulness. It requires that. That is an element that is required in the formula of that success. Nothing happens if it's done with an ish. Because an ish is a wish. You cannot defeat your adversary. You cannot defeat the enemy by being Christian-ish. You cannot live a consecrated-ish life. You cannot be apostolic-ish. This requires full commitment. This requires full consecration. This requires full faithness to God. In the past, in the past, before Israel had a king, before Israel had a leader that would go out and fight for them, they would win their battles because the Lord was for them. But they depended 100% in their God. They had to give all their trust. They had to give all their confidence. They had to give all of themselves 100%. How did the Lord win battles through Deborah? How did the Lord win battles through Gideon? How was Israel delivered from Egypt against the most powerful army of the time? The people had to be connected to God. When they were connected-ish, they didn't have the same level of success. They had to come and consecrate. They had to many times ask for forgiveness. There was a process of sanctification. But when their hearts changed, it was when the Lord would work in their favor. And that's why the prophet was so upset when they were asking for a king and they wanted to be like the world around them, when they wanted a man, when they wanted the arm of flesh really to fight their battles and they stopped depending on the Lord God Almighty. He could not understand that concept. He said, God is fighting for you. God is on your side. God has delivered you. All you have to do is be faithful to him. But the mind of man, we, we mess things up. So when the hearts of the people were given to other gods and they would do wicked things in the eyes of the Lord, they would end up in captivity and they would lose the battles. So you cannot accomplish greatness by doing things in an ish kind of way, by partial commitment or a mediocre dedication. 
you know, maybe for things of, of the flesh or things of this world, you can. Maybe at your job, you can do the bare minimum. Maybe you can get away with shortcuts for things of this world and you're still going to be okay. But the things of the Spirit, the work of the Lord requires commitment. It requires faithfulness. It requires men and women that even though they may be scared, that even though they may not know exactly everything that is going to happen, but they can place every effort in their spiritual walk. Jesus has done way too much for us so that we can simply pay him back with a half an effort or with partial commitment or, you know, uh, or with an ish kind of way, being committed-ish, being faithful-ish. My God has done way too much for me, for me to live in that fashion. Greatness requires full commitment. Remember, an ish is a wish. Praise God. Amen. So, I'm going to be a little transparent here. Recently, my wife got me some hair restoration products. I'm not ashamed. I was perfectly happy. But I've been told to put these on. And so, well, it all started with a simple spray. And she mentioned, put it on. And me, as a husband, as a man that I am, I started with, no, I don't want that. But if, so I was reluctant, and um, I was like, I'm fine. I, I'm fine. You know what? Let, let just let age take its course, and, and everything's going to be fine. But after some time, she was reminding me, and I said, okay, let's do this. Let's see what this is about. So... When I decided to finally get in on this and, and do it, I was like, I, 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 can, I can put on that spray for, you know, once, twice a day. I don't know what the requirement was for frequency. And I was like, I can do it. But then it turns into, oh, wait, no, no, no. It's not just the spray. You also need the shampoo. And on top of the shampoo, you also need the gel. I'm like, but I love my gel. I love the gel. But it's like, you have to use this gel or else it's not going to work. The only way that the outcome works 
is if you use everything. So I'm like, so I have to use a gel? I'm like, but I like the wet look. I'm like, oh, well, we have an answer for that. You have to buy our mousse. So I'm like, okay, I have to buy your shampoo. I have to buy your gel. I have to buy your mousse. And I have to buy your spray? Yes. Or else, it's not a complete package. It's not going to work as it's designed. So I walk around. I look at my gel. Shed a tear. It's like, I love you. He said, but we're going to make this work. And on top of that, I have to wash my hair a very specific way. And I have to do it twice. I barely like to wash it the first time. And now I have to do it a second time. So in order for this to work, I have to cut out of my life every other product that is out there. I have to remove from my body every other contaminant that has been causing the loss of this precious hair. I have to cut it out of my life and stick to these specific products. And the Holy Ghost starts speaking to me. If hair restoration requires discipline, if hair restoration requires commitment, and a financial commitment, might I say, it requires me being faithful to this product, not faithful-ish, not committed-ish, not kind of disciplined. It requires complete commitment because that is the only way that it will produce the expected results. I can't do this halfway. I can't be partially committed to this process. If I want hair, I have to be fully committed. Why? Because an ish is a wish. If I'm not serious about it, I'm not going to obtain the results that I want. So you can be faithful-ish to God. You can live a consecrated-ish life. You can be apostolic-ish. You can be Christian-ish. But unless you give yourself 100% commitment to God, you will never be all that God wants you to be for his kingdom. You will never enjoy the sweet reward of victory. It requires sacrifice, yes. It requires fasting, yes. It requires praying, yes. It requires early mornings, yes. It requires all of that so you can be the vessel that God wants you to be. 
So remove the ish from your life. Dare to find out really what God can do with you when you're fully available to Him. When you're fully dedicated to God. When you're fully disciplined. When you are committed to that almighty God. It requires that. It requires that from all of us. Dare to live by a higher standard. Dare to live. Raise the bar on yourself. You don't have to do any more than what this book requires. But sometimes our standard is barely off the floor. Dare to find out who you can become when you're faithful to God. Dare to find out the many things that God can do through you, through a willing vessel, through an open vessel that is willing, that is willing to be faithful to his God, that is willing to be consecrated to God, that is willing to do what other people are not doing. There's, there's, we have Moses and Aaron in the book of Leviticus chapter 10. And Aaron, who was assigned or he was positioned by God to, to carry out the priestly duties and his sons in Leviticus 10 were consumed by the Lord. They died because they brought profane fire and so they were consumed by God. They brought something. They did something in the way in which God had not commanded it. They did something their own way. They did something in their own version. They probably did something in a holy-ish way. They didn't do exactly what the Lord had commanded. And when Moses came over and to speak to Aaron, and he says, your boys are they're dead. This is what he says to him. Thus saith the Lord, I will be treated as holy by those who approach me. And before all the people, I will be honored. There is a way to serve God. Don't do it your way. Don't do it the way that you simply believe that this way is correct. You need to find it here. If this book says it, then we have to do it. If this book gives us a command, then we have to do it. The, the receptionists, the greeters, they just put out little booklets for daily Bible reading. They're free. Grab one on your way out. Read this word 
every single day. Commit it to your heart every single day. Commit it to memory every single day. Because when you live by this book, you are not going to live in an ish kind of way. You are going to know exactly what your God requires of you. You are going to know exactly what the renewing of your mind should be. You are going to know exactly the things that you have to do. Don't wait for the preacher. Don't wait for pastor to come and, and scream it out. It's all right here. Let's be on our feet. I want to give one more quick example. Moses, the great Moses. Moses had just been given the greatest commission. Well, not the greatest, but a very important commission. I think uh, the greatest commission is for us to go and share this gospel with the world. But he had just been spoken to by the Lord in the mountain, burning bush, you know, presence of God. Take your shoes off. He had just received an amazing word from God. An amazing command, an amazing commission that said, go and deliver Israel. Not a small task, a, a gargantual task. But the Lord was with him. On his way from the wilderness over to Egypt, again, just one chapter before, he had had this amazing experience with God. He received the command. He received the presence of God was there. Let's turn the page. Chapter 4 of Exodus. Now the Lord wants to kill Moses and he would have killed him and you might think why what's going on what's going on here the word of God says that the Lord was looking was seeking to kill Moses because he did not circumcise his son one little action one little thing of disobedience. That was an ish type of way of serving God. Maybe Moses thought, I'm in. He just gave me the greatest command. I'm going to go do this job. I'm going to go do what he's asking me to do. He's like, my son is, is not circumcised. That's okay. It's probably, it's probably okay just to slide. There was a covenant here. There was a covenant that the Lord was standing by. And the Lord said, I need all of you. I need complete consecration. I need complete commitment. I need complete everything from you. In so much that he would have killed him if his wife would not have stepped in and done the job for him. And because of a wife that came into the picture, the Lord did not kill Moses.
So I just leave you with this thought. Let's give the Lord everything. Inish is a wish. Don't serve him halfway. Don't do things halfway. Serve him with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, with everything that you have. God is good. Dare to see what God has in store for you. I'm going to open up this altar. You need to come to the Lord and speak with him. You might need to renew a vow with him. I don't know. You might need to renew something in your life. Say, Lord, I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to give you all of me. Not an ish, not a little bit, but all of me. Let's pray.